everyone. Welcome back to the pod. I'm Hannah, one of your co-hosts and an intern at the college. I'm Sam, and you know who I am. And I'm Chris Long, Dean of the College of Arts and Letters. And you're listening to the Liberal Arts Endeavor, an ever-expanding look at all things College of Arts and Letters. And today, it just so happens to be our 10th episode. Wow, unbelievable. That's unbelievable. So today, we're continuing um, through each of Dean Long's initiatives, as we've been doing in the past episodes. Uh, Today, we're talking about the School of Languages, which is an initiative to position MSU as an international leader in the study of languages from the cultures and societies they embody to the ways they are taught and learned to the science of language acquisition and linguistics. So, Dean Long, what departments are we looking at for this initiative? Well, this initiative really uh, takes a focus on the Department of Romance and Classical Studies and the Department of Germanic, oh, Linguistics, Germanic, Slavic, Asian, and African Languages. I always struggle with getting that, mm-hmm. that name correct. Um, in addition to Second Language Studies and the Center for Language and Teaching Advancement, CELTA. So what I realized when I started was that we have, I actually knew this before I came to Michigan State, we, ha- we have um, real strengths in language learning and pedagogy and cultural studies and linguistics and, and second language studies. So what we thought about as we were looking at all these programs was how could we elevate the status of these programs at MSU and nationally. And so we um, began to talk about the idea of a school of languages, and, uh, and that's what led to this initiative. Today in the studio, we have the two co-chairs of the task force and the action committee members to talk about the language school. So welcome, everyone. We're glad to have you here. If you want to go around and introduce yourselves. Okay, thanks. Hi, I'm Susan Gass. I'm a professor in the Department of Linguistics and Languages, as it's uh, informally known, (laughs) and I'm also the director of the Second Language Studies program. Uh, Hello, thank you for having us today. My name is Rocio Quispe Agnoli, and I'm a professor of Hispanic Studies in the Romance and Classical Studies Department. Great. Well, we're so glad to have you all here. Uh, We're going to start out... um, with Susan, can you talk a little bit about what the task force and the action committee roles are and um, what they're each charged with and why you're uh, sitting here with us? Why well, I'm sitting here with you. <laughs> Shall I start there? Yeah, start with that one. <laughs> um, well, about last April or May, um, Dean Long asked us to think about what it might be like to have a school, of which we're informally calling language studies at this point, um, and he set up a task force with eight members, uh, half of which were from the one, the Romance and Classical Studies, and the other half was from um, Linguistics and Languages. And we worked through um, through the summer. The f- most important part for us was exploring other um, institutions that had schools and also trying to determine if this was going to be something that would be feasible for us at Michigan State to put together. Um, he had given us um, a number of charges for the task force. The one was to just investigate, as he said, the opportunities and challenges associated with establishing such a school, um, to um, look at, the, as I said, models at peer universities and to submit a report as to whether this should go forward. Um, our report was submitted at the end of the summer, early um, fall, And at that point, um, Dean Long set up an action committee, which was 
made up of most of the same members, but not all. There were eight in the first the task force, and now we're ten in the action committee. And our task now is a little bit more detailed to try to set up what this thing is going to look like, looking at ways of collaborating um, across disciplines, across individuals, developing new research networks, and what kind of administrative structure can we come up with? And that's what we're working on right now. So we understand that you've been looking at other academic institutions during this process. What were some of your findings that you're taking back to MSU? Um, well, when we went, we visited or, or Skyped with five different um, institutions. And what we found is that the ways that each one went about forming themselves were, was quite different. They, Many of them already had departments and um, then formed this umbrella organization. We're about the only one who've really started with reorganizing everything. So that's been very interesting. We found the different models of how they work more or less um, closely together as um, as they they do their business of the school. So there are various different models, and it it was really terrific to have such models to think about. Oh, this is great. Maybe we could do this here, or this isn't going to work here because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah, we really wanted to try and take advantage of the unique situation we have here at MSU. A lot of universities have uh, small departments in a variety of different languages. At, at MSU, we had these two departments with uh, language programs within them. And so, in a way, we were three-quarters of the way to a, to a school without all of the the elevated status of being a school. So that was the opportunity we saw, and Sue and Rosie have done a great job of, of bringing that forward. Right. So what was that process like? I know um, there's a website set up for the School of Languages right now, and it has the, the phases. So, Rocio, would you want to go through what phases the uh, Task Force and Action Committee have been going through? Yes. Um, thanks for your question. First, I would like to um, say and, and confirm that these four phases that I actually see more like a steps the steps uh, in a process uh, at the end of which we are going to have uh, an organized, articulated set of findings on which we are going to base recommendations. These uh, processes or steps, they, they are, uh, they took place uh, with a task force, which was the first committee Sue mentioned, and they're taking place right now with the action committee. And as Sue already explained, explore is, as uh, any process, is the first step. We have to collect data. We have to study other models. We have to um, uh, uh, interview uh, other people. That is uh, what we did uh, last year. And... And then uh, the next uh, step is to sit down and analyze all the information we have gathered to find uh, similarities, differences with MSU, keeping always in mind, this is very important, keeping always in mind what can or distinguishes ourselves, uh, Michigan State University and the Language and Literature, uh, Literature, Literary and Cultural Studies program from other uh, peer institutions. So once we have um, that, we go or we went and we go into the second phase, which is input. And input implies faculty consultation, getting, um, putting our ideas together, um, what we have been able to find so far are presented to faculty by means of service, meetings, 
uh, large meetings, uh, informal communications, departmental meetings, etc. And then we gather feedback again. And then once again, we have to go to the to the table, back to the table, sit down, and analyze that data and see what works, what doesn't work, and and you know work work with this information to uh, rewrite what we have produced until then. Um, the third uh, step or phase is the report, which, as Sue indicated, last year, by October 1st, we submitted the first report of the task force. Um, and right now, the action committee has already done the exploration. Uh, it's uh, currently finishing the step or phase of input. And uh, although there is still some input to be um, collected in April, in the month of April, and we are also working on a draft report. So the four phase uh, action, the action uh, um, for last year's uh, task force uh, implies we made a rec we made a recommendation, and now we have to take action, which was the formation, the establishment of the action committee, in which we are now. Uh, in our case, in the current uh, in, in in the current situation, the action is the implementation phase, what we are calling implementation or transition phase, which is going to take place next year. I hope uh, it's it's clear. You have to take it as four steps. Yeah, well, one of the things that's been really wonderful about working with Rocio and Sue, and we've been continuing to remind ourselves of this throughout the process, is that is to is to be where you are in the process because. Uh, on the one hand, we had kind of a, a general map about where we wanted to go with an exploration phase that would lead to a real decision, and that was a uh, up in the air whether we would whether this was a good idea and whether we should move forward with it. The recommendation came back and said yes, we should, and then we went and moved into the action committee phase. But it's it's very easy to get ahead of ourselves, and in, in, it's very important. And I really appreciate the work that uh, Sue and Rosie have done in. in making sure that the committee and also the faculty are in the moment that we're, where we are because part of the it's not just the product that we're going for it is the process the trust building that's embedded in that process that's so important yeah i think it's really interesting in thinking back on the process is that we didn't know exactly what the process was going to be it had to be developed and i can remember on more than one occasion where we thought we would do this and then we realized, no, maybe we should take this in a slightly different direction, not do this quite yet, but do this later in the in the stage. So that was um, the development of a process has been interesting in this. One of the things that I, I um, when you asked me about what we learned from visiting other um, places, one of the most important lessons that we learned is what does a director do? Um, there are different models that one can think about. One can put everything together and just make one huge department. Or one can have where the director kind of manages everything as a chair of a department might, um, might do. Or one can see a director as really the face of language that can unify what's going on in the school and promote language study broadly construed. And so that was something that we ended up more with the latter, but that was um, something that we had to address and that we learned from different models at other institutions. Yeah, I think one of the challenges that that we had as we were mapping out the, the plan was the making sure we have um, the right balance of autonomy for programs 
and also for the director, the leverage that the director will need to drive strategic performance excellence. And so getting this balance the right way is is what we're doing. And um, that's a, that's actually where we are right now in the process is kind of making sure we have the procedures in place to, to do that. And it's really a, an interesting uh, balancing act. And one of the things that I'm really impressed by and thankful for is the role that the faculty have played on the committees. They've really become experts in in this area and what, what are the options, what are the possibilities. And we've been seeing, in addition to the excellent leadership of Rocio and Sue, the, the leadership of the junior faculty and even senior faculty on these committees who are really be taking on leadership roles in, in, in pretty impressive ways. Right. Yeah, it sounds like we're, we've really been chugging through, you know, this process and going through each of the steps. But I kind of want to take a step back and say, you know, you, you talked about why you wanted to form this, but what's it really going to do? What's it going to um, establish us as among other language schools? Um, I think it's it's uh, very important first to point out the awareness that um, the college has and uh and I'm very happy that the college and our dean has this awareness that when we're talking, we, t- we tend to talk about language programs, but it's it's not simply, it's a very generic term because it includes actually disciplines and areas of studies of language sciences that are, are scientific, you know, second language studies, uh, linguistics. And then it includes what generically is known as language programs, but it's actually, it, it, has, it's, it has two sides. The, the uh, level of uh, second language acquisition when you learn to speak Spanish, for example, just to communicate at least the basics. And then the, the, the upper level, which is uh, what we call literary and cultural studies, uh, which implies communicating in a language and trying to think in that language, which is one of the most difficult things to do, you know, to navigate other cultures, societies where languages other than English are spoken. So, and we're trying to emphasize the scientific part of language study and also this uh, multicultural, multilingual uh, approach that uh, uh, a unit or any organization like the school is doing. And one way to approach that or to make it more visible aside of all the work that we have been doing during, during the, the, the years is to um, foster, uh, facilitate, and um, uh, sustain or, or, or building a platform, a sustainable platform for collaborations, uh, collaborative initiatives that can be uh, for research projects, pedagogical projects, community um, engagement and outreach uh, curriculum development, etc., in which uh, ideally uh, people from different so language programs or uh, language sciences can discover each other and say, hey, we are working on a similar topic. It's just that I'm working it from my national language point of view, and you're doing it from your language pro- uh, national language point of view, and we have all these things in common. You know, let's see what else in common can we find. So we are trying to emphasize the local and the global at the same time. And I think uh, this is one of the, um, I think, one of the um, features of distinction that eventually um, this uh, school can achieve in comparison 
with um, other peer, what happens in other peer institutions. Yeah, and I think that's absolutely needed. You know, we've talked a lot about language on this podcast, actually, and I can think of, yeah, the, the scientific, the linguistics, you know, when we had um, Bill Van Patten on here and talking about second language learning, but then when we had our two awesome undergrads talking about, you know, the power of culture that language comes out. So, you know, we haven't had something that was, oh, yeah, you know, both are really important or both can work together in really cool ways. And from different language perspectives. Yeah, exactly. So uh, in my area, second language learning and the, the principles involved in language learning don't really, di well, don't differ when you're talking about the learning of Spanish by uh, an English speaker or the learning of Japanese. There are certain principles that go across all uh, types of language learning. So that's what we can build on. I think that we have a, we're, we're trying to create a strong platform where we can all move forward. We can find our common interests, our common professional interests, our common research interests, as Rocio mentioned, pedagogical interests. And we can be much stronger when we can find ways or the infrastructure where we can all work on those. It's really, uh, the vision here is to put uh, language learning at the center of the World Grant Mission. Mm -hmm. And to have the school be a catalyst for really innovative, excellent research, scholarship, and pedagogy in the languages so that that can be at the very heart of what the president calls uh, world, the World Grant Mission of Michigan State University. Yeah, I'd like to add to that that uh, in very um, pragmatic terms, uh, 20 years ago, for instance, um, having a second language the, for undergraduate students was okay, perhaps, no, but it's not necessary. And I can see today, 2017, that uh, having um, a second language or a third language, even if it's a minor or at least at a, you know, language communication level, the basic communication level, it's crucial it, uh, for uh, professional perspectives. And then I keep thinking, what's gonna, where are we going to be from now in 20 years? If you know languages, uh, because the world is, is global now uh, and the uh, development of digital technologies allows for this uh, spread of information in, in different languages. And uh, language, language learning, as Chris indicates, is just, it's, it's the first door to another world, you know? And I just want to share something just uh, to give you an idea. I'm a, an, in a privileged position here. I speak five languages, and I have lived in the places where these languages are spoken. So that's, uh, and I have had the cultural exposure. And I can tell you, there are concepts in German or in French that I cannot translate to Spanish, which is my native language. And there are, of course, things in Spanish that I cannot say <laughs> in English. You know, so I have to go around. To, and still, there are certain um, words or terms or phrases, if also in Portuguese, that I, can, I cannot simply translate. And then I just keep saying the phrase or the word in right. the target <laughs> in that language because I say, okay, this is it, you see? So that is why uh, the, the language learning is the door to other worlds. And I do remember from when I was a gra an, an undergraduate student like you, I was a standard linguistics, actually, um, and I remember a teacher telling us, okay, so, uh, 
learning a language is one thing, thinking in that language is another thing. And when you start dreaming in that language, <laughs> there you are. I've actually <laughs> heard about, yeah, like people dreaming in another language, and that blows my mind. Like, I, I am can't there. I, I dream, I dream in, in, in English sometimes. Oh yes, I, I am Depends there. on what you're, what yeah. you're dreaming about. Right. Yes, <laughs> yes. True. And when I lived in Germany, I lived in Germany six years. At some point, I was dreaming in German. Wow. So now yeah. my German is dormant because I have been so long sure. here in the, in yeah. the States. But yeah, I mean, it's really about expanding the horizon yeah. of yes. your imagination. It know? makes you, it opens your mind so much. You know, it sure. makes you so, so flexible. And so I, I think we also have to look yeah. at the national scene, what's happening. And if you think of mm -hmm. the recent report by the Commission on Language Learning, it was um, a report that was um, established by the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. And they came out with a report just a month or a few weeks ago, actually. And looking at what's happening nationally with the lack of, of funding, in the, certainly in the K through 12 area for languages, um, and the need to expand our offerings and to have a national strategic plan for how we're going to promote languages and how we're going to value languages for all the reasons that Rocio just expressed. And I think we're at a time, and the American Council for the Teaching of Foreign Languages has their own very large and broad um, advocacy campaign. We are at a time when people are starting to recognize that we have let the whole, this whole endeavor of language learning slide and have not emphasized it in the way we could or should be doing. So, you know, one doesn't know about funding, where that's going to come from, but certainly one of the goals of this school is to seek funding for language, um, language study. Yeah, which leads me to my next question. Um, how will a school like this help us with competing with, to compete with those prestigious external fundings? Well, one way is uh, what uh, Rocio mentioned, which was the sort of opportunity that we have to create clusters of interest around various areas of scholarship. And so um, by bringing the various programs to the, uh, yeah, to the um, under or within this ecosystem of a school, we will be able to be much more flexible and dynamic with respect to the kinds of um, scholarship that we uh, that we develop. We have a very strong relationship with the Mellon Foundation. We've we just had a 1.2 million dollar Mellon grant to teach uh, in partnership with the Big Ten Academic Alliance to teach less commonly taught languages, and um, that's just really the beginning for us. It's, uh, there are a lot of opportunities, and one of the reasons why you bring these programs together in this kind of a, a structure is to empower them to do innovative things across languages, across disciplinary boundaries that are otherwise more difficult to, uh, to transcend. And, you know, that cuts across from the school to other, other units as well. We have a very strong film studies program in English, and film studies is a huge interest to our faculty in the in various languages. So finding ways to bring those two together is really going to be a compelling part of, of what I hope to see in the school as it develops. And the, another grant that we've had, we're looking at assessment practices. And again, it's because we were able to work together with another uh, of a number of languages that we that the, we we Michigan State was able to get this grant. It would not have been possible without the cooperation of many. So this is just the beginning of ways that we can collaborate. Um, and as, as um, I think we mentioned earlier, we have built into this structure a very important role for collaboration. 
Um, and we have, as part of the process, which we haven't mentioned yet, we've uh, the we, the dean has funded what we call collaboration collaboration grants. I think we mm -hmm. called them, and we've had a number of people who've worked on projects. And one of the goals was that these the the partners um, who are working on projects are working across languages, across disciplines, and. That's been very successful in getting um, individuals to work together, and we've got a second round of that. So that's something that we hope to continue with something we're looking at, probably calling research networks um, with some sort of maybe funding, but at least those would be stepping stones to get external funding. And I think that the more that we can show that we're not just in our little holes by ourselves and that we have a more outward look, um, the better off we will be and the better we can position ourselves better for external funding. Yeah, one of the challenges kind of twofold. One is how do you cultivate the habits among the faculty mm -hmm. to do that kind of collaborative work? And the other is how do you create the structures in the school to facilitate support and, in, and incentivize that kind of work? So it's exciting to see the ideas that are coming out of the, out of the action committee. And um, that's one of the most rewarding parts about being a dean is when you see the the faculty really begin to be creative around some of these uh, these initiatives because it opens up an enormous amount of possibilities. Well, speaking of you know collaboration and networks, how is this you know potential big network going into the teaching? How is it going into the faculty members and the stakeholders? I think that's an interesting question, um, and part of it is that we've seen this happening through. Well, actually, there was a precursor to a little bit of this, but these collaborative grants where we have people working, we have um, one group of faculty members from um, different languages working on online course development. Um, they will be presenting their work and possibly um, getting external funding. But it's that kind of collaborative work. And we've built into this a requirement for all of these small grants that it be across languages um, so that we don't, as I say, we can expand our base in this. But uh, this has been, there's been cross-language work at MSU for a while, and I think that's what has allowed us to move forward so quickly and, and um, on this particular project. One of the things that's most exciting to me is that we have these kind of synergies. So on the, on the language sciences side, we have linguistics and we have second language acquisition. And if we can integrate the research that they're doing in those disciplines into the language teaching, that's really going to enrich that. And on the other side, we have this culture and literary studies that is really has a deep and sophisticated understanding of the culture of many of the languages that we teach. And so if we can integrate that depth of understanding and that real texture and nuance from that side into the teaching and learning, we're really going to have uh, a synergy that's uh, transformative, I think, for students as they take classes here. And, and understanding is we're working um, together and understanding that language and culture really don't have to be seen as separately as no. that they are, that you teach culture right from the beginning, you teach language right through mm -hmm. to the end, mm -hmm. and so that this re these really aren't two separate processes as they seem to be in many institutions. and. Um, we're trying to break down some of the barriers that have traditionally existed. Yeah, I would like to add uh, in terms of the collaboration piece that last year, along with other members of the task force, I paid attention to um, the initiatives of faculty of all these units 
Um, and I, I wanted to see if they were working in a collaborative way. And I found out that indeed many are. But what happens is that usually uh, those initiatives or those projects are short-lived because um, um, either um, they're not uh, visible to the university, they don't receive enough funding. When they have received funding, it has been outside of their departments. And um, it, they have not been promoted or made visible. But uh, what I... Um, gathered from this is that uh, there are faculty members and graduate students who are willing and very interested in collaborating with each other, but there is no platform. Uh, many um, of my colleagues have told me that for years they wanted to, to do team teaching, for instance, but they were turned uh, they, they were told no because we don't know how to distribute the teaching um, obligations or um, a scheduling or weights, you know, how much does this wait for your honor review or, or for the offering of, of the courses, etc. So that is uh, what I mean with this is that there is an interest, there is a, a, a willingness to do things. We uh, just need to create a platform and I insist in a sustainable platform. <laughs> so it's these things are not short lived. And I think, again, I, I insist this is one of the things that if we develop it well, it, it's going to take time, of course. It's gonna, it can become one of the features that distinguish, uh, distinguishes MSU from, from other peer institutions. Yeah, and one thing that we're doing is proposing a position from the existing faculty member, a position that would be somebody who's in charge of interdisciplinary collaborative initiatives. Because one thing that could easily happen is five years from now, all of these wonderful ideas fall by the wayside if you don't have a structure that promotes them and continues and to, to promote them and develop them. So that's something, a way that we're trying to build some of this in. Yeah, one of the things that's been very important to me about this whole process has been that the process itself begins to embody the practices we want to cultivate within the school when it's established. And so the the work that uh, Sue, you, and Rocio, you have done to, to facilitate that has been really amazing. And I want to say on the podcast how, how grateful I am for the work that you've done and, and the faculty has done on this. You are welcome. We're still um, a long way to go. Yeah, we got along, and, and you're in the weeds of it. So. We are in the weeds, yes. so. but we also have to acknowledge our, our co-workers, yes. Our, yes. Um, the other action committee members who've worked very hard. In, um, yeah, I mean, it's been great to see the, the trust that's been building up between mm -hmm. between you all as, you, mm -hmm. as you've learned uh, about each other and you've learned about the lay of the land with respect to what's possible and, and also what's maybe not such a great idea. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We've learned those. Yeah. <laughs> well, we want to thank you all for being here. I think uh, I speak for all of us when I say I'm very excited about, you know, seeing where this New opportunity is. Yeah. So thank you for, for coming. Thanks You're for welcome. having us. Yeah. And so we want to thank uh, not only our lovely guests, but uh, everyone else involved, because we've now had 10 successful podcast Woo! episodes. Yay. Uh, they wouldn't be possible without our technical producer, Daniel Trego, or our marketing director and producer, Ryan Kilcoin. And as always, you can check out all of the college's podcasts at cal.msu.edu slash about slash podcast. And finally, the ideas and opinions expressed on this program do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Letters, any of our sponsors or any official entities of Michigan State University. We'll be back in two weeks for a brand new episode about the final of Dean Long's uh, five strategic initiatives within the college. 
Thank you for listening. Go green. Go white.